This is Transistor.fm. We'll see how, I don't know how long we're going to do this, but... Let's aim for 30 minutes and we'll end up talking for an hour. Hour might be too much. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to Build Your SaaS. This is the behind the scenes story of building a web app in 2023. I'm John Buda, a software engineer. And I'm Justin Jackson. I do product and marketing. Follow along as we build Transistor.fm. And keep up to date on all the crazy latest happenings in the world. <laughs> all, your, all the crazy sales tax and banking related it's just the financial system is melting before our eyes. But uh, you went on vacation, so you, you, were, you were maybe oblivious to some of this. How many times did you think about the banking sector and sales tax while you were on vacation? Not at all. Ah, oh, glorious. In fact, it was, the, I, it was the first time I haven't opened my laptop. Well, I was gone for like nine days. Didn't open my laptop once, and that's the first time that's happened. Wow. I don't know. Eight years, probably. Like it, dude. It's pretty nice. That's a success. Do you think you didn't open your laptop because the internet was bad, or do you think it, was it you were just fully in vacation? No, mode, I just wanted both. Just wanted to be in vacation mode. I mean, I would, I kept up to date on my phone and stuff and talked to you guys, and uh, but it's you know you can do that from the beach while drinking a margarita pretty easily. And yeah, the internet was not great. It was, you know, it worked okay, but it wasn't like. It was not great. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a long time to uh, have not kind of had a real chance to unplug. What was, was there any other kind of, how was it? Like, what was the other parts of that? Did it feel like you really got something back? Did it feel renewing? Yeah, I felt, yeah, it was very restful and renewing. And yeah, it's nice to unplug. I mean, it, you know, I like I said, I still kept in touch. So I wasn't like totally out of what was going on. Yeah, you were still in Slack. <laughs> Which, you know, next time I could maybe just disappear from that too. Delete yeah. it from my phone. But, uh, I don't know. I still like to keep up to date. I mean, it is, you know, our company. Yeah. I like to know what's going on. But, but yeah, it was, uh, it was quite relaxing. It's very nice. I mean, this was kind of your te the test run for uh, the six-month sabbatical we keep talking right. about having. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where Helen and Jason run the team. Yeah, Helen and Jason just run the company. And um, I mean, I think one thing that is obviously you and I bring a lot to the team and to the product and to the company, but it is incredible to see how much Jason and Helen bring. Yeah. And sometimes they're just scheming away in their own Slack channels, just uh, <laughs> just deciding, hey, we should... Uh, you know, Jason just did a big, well, Helen and Jason kind of schemed on this together and then Jason went and did it where we had basically folks that have been on the platform who haven't paid in ages, like the card would fail, but we wouldn't kick them off. It would just be kind of in limbo. Right. Yeah. Like their feed still worked and maybe yeah. they couldn't use the platform, but their, everything still worked. So they're Which essentially was, getting know, free hosting. Obviously not great, but... Um, yeah, so Jason went ahead and figured out and wrote a whole system to like notify people multiple times and then automatically cancel accounts. And yeah, it worked yeah. Really well. I, I mean, there's there's obviously dunning systems. Like we've always had a basic kind of dunning and system, but this this is like uh, 
next level for giving people warnings at different stages depending on their status. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing how many people, obviously, if you're not paying, then actually here in this co-working place for years, we just never got an internet bill, like for cable internet. And it was just like, fine. And then all of a sudden one day our internet got turned off and we're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, somebody found something in the system. Yeah, it's a good things to put in place. Yeah, dude, a lot's happened though. Uh, let's talk briefly about the modern day run on a bank uh, <laughs> because it was Silicon Valley Bank. And uh, that we were actually a, briefly a, an SVB customer. Yeah, I don't know how long we used them. I mean, they, they were what Stripe Atlas used when we signed up and incorporated, and they just like automatically opened an account for you. They were the only option for a long time. Now, uh, Stripe Atlas offers you a, a few different options, but yeah, yeah. I mean, we used them, and it was like it was a bank. It was fine, I guess, but. It was really hard. I think it felt really hard to do stuff. Mm -hmm. It's pretty inflexible. I don't know. We used them for maybe a year. I don't know. I mean, we didn't. We I don't didn't think make we, money for a while. We had I think account. you actually used thought we should switch right away because we signed our partnership docs, and I don't think I ever logged into Silicon Valley Bank. And then fairly soon after that, I think you were like, "Let's get off this Silicon Valley," and we switched yeah. to Capital One. We did Capital One, and then they Capital One. I think they like closed that type of account down or something. Oh yeah, happened we had where, like, like a small business account or something. Where, like, yeah, we couldn't log into the dashboard or something. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so we found Mercury pretty early on. Yeah, when they were pretty new, I think. Still, yeah, yeah. That would have been yeah. We it feels like we've been with them forever now. I mean, the the UX of Mercury is incredible, but I think. Uh, this whole banking crisis has made us rethink about what is a bank. <laughs> yeah, because Mercury, Mercury is technically not a bank. They so are, tell me, what is Mercury? What is it? Well, I, I saw this something online. And I think it was the guy that runs it said something. He's like, we're not actually a bank. We're like, a, we're a software platform for your money, but we work with banks. So they have partner banks. Okay. And that's where your money goes, right? And it can. I think they, they split it across multiple accounts or something. I mean, it looks like one account to you, but... Yeah, um, it's not. Yeah, it's not technically a, a bank. Yes, but it's all very seamless. I mean, it's like has worked great. They have free international wires and like the user experience is amazing. And it's it doesn't feel like something that's been taped together. It it just like we we've sent tons of wires. We've you know it, it hooks up to our accounting platform well. Um, it it feels like it just always works it's been very dependable and um granted we don't have millions of venture no. capital funding sitting in account which i think you know i don't know if like svb was better for that type of company but well apparently not they only had two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of uh of right. insured deposits right 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 i i i think this is this whole episode and Honestly, it is awful. I don't want to make light of, um, you know, a lot of these companies who've received funding are still small businesses who are run by people like you and I. Uh, they have employees like Transistor and, um, you know, not making payroll and 
all of that stuff is awful. And I also want to recognize that not every company can be structured like Transistor, but it did reveal how different it is to be running a business that is just profitable. Mm -hmm. And um, we don't um, keep a giant cash balance with Transistor. No, we, we don't. Generally, it's just like every month our our revenue is really consistent and it it's basically always gone up, even if it's only gone up by a little bit. And uh, that has... That model is calmer, at least at this stage of history. <laughs> that could change. Mm. But it has, it, it just revealed like, wow, like this whole new financial era we're in with high interest rates. And now, you know, all the think pieces on Medium and uh, other places are like, how now Silicon Valley's got to got to get back to the basics, get back to profitability, you know, startups have to act like small businesses. And you know, for us it's just been like, well, that's that's that was the style that always appealed to us. And it I think in most cases, especially if the business you've started has a good financial engine, and that's a huge caveat. Caveat? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think that's the same in Canada. Sometimes I read that word and I'm like, caveat? No, it's not caveat. It's caveat. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the caveat is that it's hard finding a bit. You and I have tried other businesses in our past, and uh -huh. Transistor by far has the best financial engine of anything we've tried. So uh, obviously that really helps and um to make it feel calm but yeah it it just did feel like and our friends that have businesses like that uh you know the Ian Landsmans of the world the Michelle Hansons of the world uh they're running small software companies like us and uh i think all of us were kind of standing on the outside of this going wow like yeah if you had a bunch of investment and then all of a sudden you lost you, you, I mean, it wasn't just that they lost. This would have also affected us if all of a sudden our bank account got frozen. Like that would have been right. not fun. Right. Or, you know, the, the, some of the providers we use run out of money and then they can't actually run their business. And yeah, it did make me think about TransferWise slash Wise, which is similar to Mercury. I think it's just uh, <laughs> some amorphous tech chrome on top of a, some something on the back end, you know, right. like it, but uh, breaking news from Mercury, they're obviously, I think, all the banks, all the smaller banks or bank like things are trying desperately to retain customers because the unfortunate um, side effect of all this is that a lot of businesses, even including small businesses, but large depositors especially, are moving their funds from smaller banks yeah. to the big banks. And you're gonna, you know, there's a uh, especially in the States, you're going to have a situation where all the big money is at chase and then it's going to make it even harder to regulate uh, that the, the big banks because they're going to always, all of them, they will be much too large yeah. to fail. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, maybe. I think the government did the right thing though and kind of mm -hmm. how they yeah. reacted and kind of 
prevented a bunch of different bank runs. But um, I think I think Mercury actually got a lot of new customers. From what yeah, I well, reading. that's yeah, that's true. I, that it would be interesting to know how how this actually shook out for them because I see two trends: one, people moving their money out of smaller banks like Mercury, and two, uh, I've heard that a lot of people were switching to Mercury. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they just announced. Uh, we've worked with our partner banks to offer additional FDIC insurance, first to one million, then to three million. Now we've gone a step further. By Monday, you have access to up to $5 million in FDIC insurance, 20 times the per banking limit. Yeah, I think that's something to do with how they split your money across accounts. Yeah. Behind there, the scenes. But, and, yeah. and there's also, I'm, it's not clear if every depositor gets that. The other thing is that every time I've had to deal with insurance, it really sucks. So it's like, sure, you might get your money bank back, but if if accounts get frozen or whatever... It still sucks because then you, you're, you've got even a week without access to your bank account. Is, yeah, uh, but I not think once the, once the FDIC steps in, they're pretty efficient. They're pretty good at what they do. I don't think it's going to be. It's not like working with some crappy insurance company. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. So interesting. It'll be interesting to watch that. I think we should talk about this next item that I'm highlighting. Are you okay if we talk about that? Yeah. Okay. We've we've had some folks that have said maybe we shouldn't talk about it, but I think it's better to talk about it than not. Section 174. Folks, if you have a software company in the United States, you need to be aware of Section 174. Basically, it is treating software development costs, and there's some confusion about this, but the more I've read into the, the U.S. tax code, the more it seems like, and now we actually have people who ha- are trying, who who are have been assessed by the IRS. So we know that these these assessments are actually even happening. This will dramatically increase the amount of tax that you pay um, because instead of saying a development salary is an expense. You have to... You have to categorize it as research and development? Yes. And then you have to amortize that over five years. years. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, which makes, your, which makes your taxable income way higher. The example, I'll link to it in the show notes from Ian Landsman, is let's say on a million dollars revenue, normally you have dev salaries that equal 500000 um, and your tax rate would be 30%, so your tax bill would be 75000 under this new system, your new your tax bill would be two hundred and twenty five thousand. Um, it dramatically increases. It basically, this legislation makes no sense for small software companies. It is no. actively harmful for small software companies, and sometimes software companies and small software companies we kind of live in this ma- world of magical thinking, um, you know where. Uh, I mean, you and I are also predisposed to this. You know, well, sales tax, we don't need to worry about that right now. Or, well, uh, you know, we're a small company, we don't need to worry about that. This actually could have a meaningful effect on people's businesses. It's, yeah, I mean, especially like, you know, if you don't last for five years, because every year you're going to amortize more and more, right? So it piles up and it gets, you'd be paying less and less over the years, but... But like the first year or two is going to be like, it's a massive hit. So Michelle Hansen, friend of the show, uh, she's the co-founder of Geocodio. 
She has started the Small Software Business Alliance, ssballiance.org. I'll put the, sh- the link in the show notes. If you, oh, she's actually expanded this now. She's got a great TLDR here too. If you have a small software business that is incorporated in the United States, you need to go there, put your name and email in there. She is going to be kind of the central communication hub for all this stuff. She's in contact with people in Washington, D.C., um, and she's working on some stuff behind the scenes she can't talk about yet. But um, we we really do need to make our voices heard on this. And if you are a U.S. citizen, you also have an opportunity to contact your representative. This is I can sign up for this here as a co-founder of Transistor, but... Only John can contact his state representative and say, this is going to affect me. And uh, Michelle even recommends calling them. They have to, they have to record every phone call. And um, there's actually a big chance this goes through and a smaller chance, even if we make noise that, uh, even if we make noise, there's no guarantee, but at least there's a possibility. So. Yeah. I mean, from reading about it, it is like n- nobody really wanted it anyway, and yet they voted on it, but they didn't, maybe didn't read it. It's like, they don't read this stuff anyway. And they just vote it. They just vote it in, and then they're like, oh, wait, no, that was a bad idea. This is a classic case of, <laughs> it's a classic case of just fucked up politics, and it sucks. It really does suck. I actually, I've, I was thinking about this the other day, because, are, are you familiar with um, Peter Level's um, Nomad List? It's like a site where that you can like put in like, hey, I want sunshine, but, uh, you know, I want it to be safe and I want it to be, you know, you can put in all these criteria. Mm -hmm. It's almost like we need a SAS list, which is like a way of filtering what is the best place to incorporate your company. (laughs) Because there's, there's all these, like, if this comes into law, that, that would be a substantial a substantial reason to incorporate your company somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, if we incorporated it anywhere but the US, your your Stripe ta- your Stripe fees go up substantially. So if you're a Stripe if you're incorporated in Canada using Stripe, all of your US credit cards, I believe are treated as foreign, right? They're not right. domestic. And so you pay an additional 1% or 1.5%. There's all of these factors that make it like, ah, maybe we should incorporate here. Maybe we should incorporate here. Maybe we should. Yeah, I wonder. It'd be nice if there's a central place to. Right. Like if the best place to incorporate your company is in Saskatchewan, Canada, let, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> You're always ragging on Saskatchewan. <laughs> that felt like, a, that felt like a, nice, a nice thing to say about Saskatchewan. I'm like, well, maybe we should look at there. Hey, how come your team doesn't have their own podcast? Head over to Transistor and use my coupon, transistor.fm slash Justin. You'll get 15% off your first year of podcast hosting. <laughs> let's, how long have we gone now? Oh, wow, already 20 minutes. Okay, well, let's let's do a little sales tax compliance update because Ooh, yeah. I think, I think uh, that's what people are here for. The exciting part of this. Yeah, we Chris, we need a little sales tax jingle here, you know? Sales tax compliance. Uh, that's the first line. I'll, I'll, I'll keep working on it. So I think the most relevant news here is that Revan has just shut down. 
What is Revan, Justin? So Revan <laughs> was one of these merchants of record that was recommended to us by folks saying, uh, and uh, I'm going <laughs> to, yeah, I'll, I'll use my voice, but you know, like they were like, eh, you just got a merchant of records, uh, Revan, they'll solve your problems. Quit complaining. You know, we had concerns back then. Now they've shut down and I have even more concerns about all merchants of record. So here's the email that they sent to customers. No public announcement, by the way. Very weird. They just all of a sudden changed their homepage. Now apparently they do. If you go to getreven.com, I think it goes to reven.consulting now. So now they're a consulting company. Hmm. Here's, here's a quote from the email. The most relevant reason that we're shutting down is that the merchant of record model is too risky for both sellers and the merchant of record operator. What are they talking about here? Okay. Sell, back to the email. Sellers bear the risk of platform shutdown as seen in the example of Flurly and Stripe. Now, I hadn't heard of this. What they're talking about here, what happened to Flurly was that some folks who were using Flurly as a merchant of record became engaged in illegal activity. At which point, Stripe sent them an email saying, uh, there's folks using your Stripe account who are uh, who are in violation of regulations and will be substan- could be subject to substantial fines. Examples of violations including selling copyrighted products, selling pharmaceuticals. And because of that, Stripe had to shut Flurly's Stripe account down, which included <laughs> all of the merchants that they were being the merchants of record for. Yikes. And that's what Revan would do too, right? We would be, we would have been part of that account, right? Yeah, this yeah. is this is what would happen with any. Yeah, I mean that would that would just kill our business immediately. So I'm going to put that link in the show notes. Um, so back to their email, the merchant record operator could potentially become involved in illicit or illegal activities quickly, which could lead to all sorts of problems. The problems are that. The people processing your credit cards could say, ah, no, this whole account we're just going to shut down, yeah. or this whole account we're just going to put on pause, or this whole account we're going to... Just think of all the times you've seen on Twitter where, for some reason, this is always a risk, for some reason, someone's PayPal account gets flagged, yep. and they're like... They, they send out an emergency tweet. PayPal, please help me. Someone's, my, my account's been shut down or my account's been uh, flagged and I can't get it out of here. I need to get the money. I can't. It's a nightmare for the individual. But now imagine assuming all of that risk, you're just going to go into a pool. It's like going into an email deliverability pool or a, uh, a web hosting pool where you're all on the same IP. Yeah, like a shared, yeah, shared server. Yeah. It's the same risk. And this is something I hadn't even considered before with Merchants of Record. Yeah, that makes it much, much less appealing or not appealing at all. <laughs> Especially after these bank runs. <laughs> it, it, it's like, I mean, this is a risk. Of course, this is a risk with a- any um, credit card processing you do. Again, PayPal, Stripe, etc. The difference is this is like, a party line. Everybody's sharing the same Stripe account. And so that exposes you to a risk in the same way that if you sign up with a merchant of, rec- a merchant of record, you start paying, um, you, you have to start submitting taxes 
and collecting taxes for basically every tax region in the world because you've already hit all the thresholds. Why? Because it's the merchant of record is, is being treated as the business there. Well, now you're also exposing yourself to all of that merchant of records customers. Anybody else they are being a merchant of record for. And that, and you have no idea who they are. So <laughs> at any point, and this could happen to Paddle. I don't know who Paddle and Lemon Squeezy and these other folks use as their credit card processing. I'm guessing that a lot of these services do just use Stripe. Stripe has their own uh, risk assessment people. Mm-hmm. And if somebody on that account fucks up or does something illegal, it affects everybody in the merchant of record pool. Yeah, that's wild. Or like, you know, if Flurly or Revan was a bad actor, they'd just be like, oh, we're just taking your money, closing the account and going to Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Back to the email, because this even, this is, I don't, again, this is just one a company's perspective from Revan, but furthermore, it became increasingly clear that the merchant of record model primarily appeals to small-scale sellers or businesses with questionable and high-risk business models. <laughs> <laughs> this presents a significant challenge as we strive to move up the market. The recent change in Stripe's risk behavior has caused us to experience issues with keeping Stripe accounts live. Huh. End of email quotes. Yikes. This is a, a big deal. Now, I'm sure, especially some of the more mature merchants of record, like Paddle, I'm sure they have ways of mitigating some of these risks, which I'd be, I'd love to hear from them. But it shows, first of all, that uh, trusting, I mean, even Revens, <laughs> they describe themselves as an MV, they, they built an MVP and to test out the market. Uh, that, I don't want to hand my business over to an MVP. Right. Any company that's brand new, there's there's just something about it that is stressful. <laughs> it feels ri- too risky yeah, to hand your business actually... over to something that's new and unproven. Yeah, I mean, hand your bank account over to somebody like that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we've talked, we've kept talking about solutions. One solution was maybe we should get your brother to help us out. Yeah, I mean, he he had listened to our episodes and and I talked to him for a bit and he was like, you know, when I was in Texas working at the Capitol, like he actually worked on some legislation when they were they were working on sales tax legislation for Amazon at the time. Was, I mean, it was a long time ago, but so he, I mean, he read all the legislation and probably helped write some stuff and he knows people who still work there at, at certain uh, parts of the government or like these tax accounting firms who know the ins and outs of not just Texas, but basically they have to keep up to date with like what every state's doing. Yeah. Whatever we decide, it might be turning on Stripe tax and using tax jar for some stuff, but then yep. having someone like my brother actually manage some of that stuff behind the scenes and do the payments and registrations and... I'm for it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know. <laughs> I, I I am still interested in us publishing as much of this stuff publicly. We've got it on the podcast, but I think it'd be nice to have a... You know, maybe I mean, I, something like Michelle's Small Software Business Alliance, and maybe that's the platform. But to be able to publish more of this publicly, to share our experience, and to share some of these things that just aren't being talked about. Mm-hmm. I, again, I think what's challenging about this is if you're brand new, if you're a small company, a lot of this probably feels like superfluous or 
you know, maybe you and I are overreacting or complaining too much. But once you're actually in it and actually having to figure all this stuff out, it just becomes clear so quickly that there's no way, it's not humanly possible, even for these merchants of record, to be 100% completely compliant with every tax region in the world at any given moment. Right. The legislation's changing all the time. The rules are changing all the time. And even, like I said, I've, I've noticed errors on multiple platforms, multiple merchants of record platforms where they're making the calculations wrong or they're showing the wrong information on the receipt. It's very, very difficult to do this. And as has been mentioned before, tomorrow, Moose Jaw Saskatchewan could say, well, now any, anybody who buys SaaS products in Moose Jaw is subject to a 35% tax. Right. Could, could send emails to all, all the companies in the world. Hey, uh, you know, <laughs> hey, DigitalOcean, hey, Amazon, hey, Microsoft, you are now in violation of the Moose Jaw Tax co- Code, one, Section 102, Section B. <laughs> and, you know, like then, uh, and, and they can take a week out of your life to make it, to make it uh, work right. And, 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 you know, payments to the Moose Jaw Tax Office must be done in person between the business hours of 10 and 3 p.m., Tuesday to yeah. Thursday. Please fax this form to this number. <laughs> Please call this number and do the, the mail moose uh, mating call, and then you will be greeted with a five-digit code. <laughs> uh-huh. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it just consumes you after a while, and you're like, I don't want to think about this, so I'm just going to ignore it, and then, I mean, sh- you know, it's just like all this that's... shit. You know what? It, the, going through this, software is a pretty nice business to be in. Some of this stuff just feels oppressive. It just feels like I know some people are going to say that's an over exaggeration, but like the things that you have to until you've actually done it, until you've owned a business, some of this stuff is just feels like why are cities states and provinces, countries, and then platforms like Stripe, <laughs> why are they making it so difficult to be a small business? It, it feels like it's, it's, it's actively, it actively makes business more difficult. And this is everything. It's insurance. I was talking to my friend who runs a little Main Street business here. Guess how much he pays in insurance every month? Five grand. No, not quite five grand. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> What's the business? I don't know. What does okay, it do? it's a little shop, little little record shop, tiny store, like uh, under a thousand square feet, probably five hundred square feet. Just insurance. Is it like bucks. fire insurance or inventory insurance it's, or what? It's liability and okay. some inventory insurance, but five hundred bucks a month. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, I don't even. I, I should look at our insurance bill, but I would be surprised if we're paying that much. Right. And, and his, like, that's more than, uh, that's like a significant portion of his expenses is just insurance. These kinds of things, I think entrepreneurship is amazing. I think that small businesses are kind of like the lifeblood of any economy. And I don't think enough people are talking about it, maybe because they don't want to seem like complainers. Right. But it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
I mean, U.S. U.S. certainly doesn't make it easy. I mean, Canada, probably not either. But uh, city planning departments and and Chicago's SaaS sales tax. It's like I I could tell you one thing that they should all do right away is increase your exemption limit. Don't make it one transaction and then you've crossed the threshold. Just increase the exemption limit and give small businesses some breathing room. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that ends our sales tax compliance section. Sales tax compliance. Uh, On a positive note, you just released some new software. I did. Yeah, we we've been kind of working on this for a while. Um, it's an integration with Patreon, which has been interesting. Yeah, uh, we'll probably have some. I'm sure we'll have more and more updates as people use it and time goes on. But essentially, you can hook up, you can connect your Patreon account to your podcast, and it'll pull in all your supporters and display them on your website and um, show notes as well. <laughs> show notes and have a nice little section where it, you know, people can join the Patreon campaign and shows you like, you know, if you have progress towards a goal and how that's going and shout out new supporters in your show notes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's even a little, we have these liquid tags uh, that you can specifically highlight new supporters since the last episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. And then a little widget on the bottom of the website that says Mm -hmm. uh, this podcast has 16 supporters or whatever. So, yeah, that that was really cool to to roll that out. Lots of folks yeah. have already implemented it. It's one of those things where like we announced it and it even before we announced it people were discovering it and adding it uh, you know, adding it to their show. So, it felt cool to be able to do something with monetization. Um we think that, you know, even earning a little bit of money from your podcast can go a long way. So, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I think, yeah, there's, you know, there's other features we're thinking about related to this or on top of this or other platforms that we can integrate with that do something similar to Patreon or, but yeah, yeah, we'll see, see how this one goes. But so far people are using it. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. I'm, I'm, I think monetization is one of those things that, um, we want to be thinking more about and it is a little bit more complicated. One of the reasons we chose Patreon was because, um, the complications of like using Stripe or PayPal, it, it it's just a bit of a harder lift. And this was like, okay, a lot of our customers already use Patreon. Let's just do this as the initial thing to get us going. Yeah. Uh, I've been hiring Josh Anderton to help me work on a bunch of marketing site stuff. And we've been rolling that out. It's been really fun to yeah, been great. have a big refresh. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just feels like every day we've got something new to look at. He's also uh, worked on a new podcast website theme that is getting pretty close. Yeah, it's been pretty close to being done. So that's been exciting. It's a it's a much different theme than we've had so far, which is which will be cool. And uh, I released a little side project, mypodstudios.com, that I'd like folks to go check out. It's yeah, I, I'm cool. thinking more about my studio. My studio's embarrassing. And uh, your astroturf, yeah, the, I got some astroturf on the ground, but it's just it's not for for the amount of time I'm on camera for Transistor. 
Um, and for the amount of time I have to show up on interviews and, yeah. you know, like I did that Descript live stream. You need a bookshelf back there that makes you look smart. I know. All the I things know. you're reading. Exactly. Tax compliance law. <laughs> <laughs> tax compliance law. I would love that. I should just frame some tax compliance law. And then yeah. people are like, hey, what's that in the background? Oh, that's section 32B from Moose Jaw Saskatchewan. I don't talk about I read that. I just read that during lunch. <laughs> I love it. I'm a big fan. So I've been thinking about how to improve my studio. And I thought, okay, one way to get inspired is to look at studios I like. Yeah. And um, so I started this little site um, using uh, Indie Hacker and longtime supporter of the show, Val Soapy. His, uh, he's got a little product called Blog Static and uh, just made a little site and Featured Stephen Robles, who's got a really bunch of cool podcasts on Transistor, Apple Insider, HomeKit Insider, Movies on the Side. Anyway, if you want to see some pretty studio photos, um, head over to mypodstudios.com. Cool. All right. Well, John, now's the time to use our feature and thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. As always, uh, we have rewardful.com. Those guys are great. Uh, Greg Park, Mitchell Davis from recruitkit.com.au, Marcel Fallet from wearebold.af, Ethan Gunderson, Anton Zorin from proudcamp.com, Bill Kondo, Alex Payne Ward from memberspace.com, Russell Brown from fotivo.com, Evandro Sassi, Austin Loveless, Michael Sitber, uh, our friends at Fathom Analytics, my brother Dan Buda. Sales tax compliance expert. Yeah, soon to be. (laughs) (laughs) Colin Gray, Darby Frey, and Dave Junta. 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 We need a new podcast just called Junta. G-I-U-N-T-A. Yeah. Junta. It's just Dave. It's just Dave. Just talking about... Chats with Dave. Yeah. Dave, if you want to start the Junta podcast... Let us know. We'll, 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 we'll show up for that. Actually, that would be fun. It just It's like whoever wants to show up, shows up. Dave just announces the time, shows up. Yeah. Whoever shows up, in. that's the show. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, please reach out if you've got comments or thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we'll see you next week. Hey, wow, you made it all the way to the end of this episode and you're still listening. Just wanted to remind you that you can get 15% off your first year of podcast hosting when you go to transistor.fm slash Justin. That's my personal coupon code. If you've been thinking about starting a podcast, now is the time. And you can use cool features like this where you dynamically insert ads or announcements into your podcast episodes, pre-roll, mid-roll, and post-roll. So go to transistor.fm slash Justin, get 15% off your first year of Transistor. Thanks for listening.